Hello, and welcome to the Dorkening Podcast Network. Press pound to hear the available shows. That Strange Show, Throwdown Thursday, Loose Cannon with Jar Jar Jeremy, Three Guys That Horror, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews the Audio Files 2.0. This is probably one of Dwayne's worst films. Yeah, he's allowed to have a tooth fairy every now and then, sure. Yeah, this is a tooth fairy and then some, because it does not show the monsters tearing up buildings until the last 20 minutes of the movie. That's what the game is. It's fucking monsters tearing up a fucking city. Secret Underground Hideout. Cinema with Harrison Smith. Dorks the Podcast. The Dorkening. Black and White Fright. The Wicked Horror Show. Subscribe to all these awesome shows anywhere podcasts can be found. For more information, check out thedorkening.com. This is Adrian Paul from Highlander, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Many are the darkling forgotten facets of our world, and boundless is our secret fascination with them. For the next half hour, turn not a blind third eye to these twilight anomalies. But rather, draw back the canvas portal and behold the wonderment that is MTV's oddities. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast, podcast dedicated to any all comic book TV shows we've ever had to cover. I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And that is true, because the Max is based on a comic book. And we have all sorts of weird comic book trivia stuff to talk about with these episodes of the Max, which is episodes 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> the numbers in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, episode 6 originally aired April 24th, 1995. Max and Julie do the best they can to talk Sarah out of her gun-wielding confusion. And episode 7, 8 originally aired May 1st, 1995. Max battles Hammerhead, a vicious shark man, and Julie journeys into the deepest buried levels of her own mind. We begin the episode with Sarah talking to herself on the bridge, playing with a gun. Yes, and this one is a very powerful episode because she reaches a level of panicked confusion where... In the comic book, it actually does show a frame of her holding the gun up to her own head, but in the show, it doesn't actually show that. It's just alluded to the idea that she wants to kill herself because of all the weird stuff going on. Hmm. Yeah, the um, suicide is heavy in this episode 6 of the show um yes. episode 6 uh covers the comic book number 4 is each one of the episodes or each one of the issues of the comic book supposed to be a part of the cycle of depression and suicide I mean not that I can really tell like it, it might be there there's and I'm talking about, like, psychoanalyzing it, being like, oh, yes, this is an algorithm for, you know, this, and this is the this is the step of this, this is the step of that, you know what I mean? I've never analyzed it that way, um, because I see that each episode or each set of episodes that we're doing 
actually delves into a lot of different parts of the psyche. So it's not just like this episode is about grief and this episode is about acceptance. You know, it, it's, I don't really see it as clear cut as that. Um, the episode with the crampon in the hat, that's, you know, that's uh, more of Max's own psyche versus Julie's, which we've been seeing up until this point. Right. Julie and Max go to the movies, and Max mentions a book called Backlash. Do you know who the author is and what book he's talking about? No. No. It's one of those contextual things that I, I just don't have the information for. I don't know what he was really talking about. There are one, two, three, four different books that pop up immediately on Google named Backlash. Five books. Uh, the Undeclared War Against American Women might be the book that he's talking about <laughs> by Susan Faludi. It came out in 1991. And he is talking about feminist ideals and how that movie was very sexist. And this book is about feminism of the 70s. Maybe that's it. Hmm. Feminism. What has that really ever done? Come on now. <laughs> now get back in the kitchen and cook me some grits. No. Um, uh, no, no, never. I'll do the dishes. That's that's the absolute least you could do. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else am I supposed to do if you're cooking? And my, what, what, I mean, what? <laughs> cleaning the goddamn house. Oh, isn't that cleaning the house? If you like cooking or whatever, and you're dirtying stuff, thing I would like clean it up right afterwards. Yeah, but while I'm cooking, you're supposed to be cleaning the rest of the house. Oh, uh, God, you want everything. Dining, making our dining experience wonderful. Jeez, it's like you want to have cook. an orgasm afterwards and be fulfilled, too. <laughs> hey, we want it all, okay? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm totally kidding. Don't send us emails. Please play, do realize <laughs> we are totally joking about this. Moving on. After Max saves Sarah and uh, Julie um, from what... Okay, I maybe this is the Beavis and Butthead thing I was talking about previously, but these two characters sound like Beavis and Butthead. But they also look like... Have you ever read or seen the cartoon version of the adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns? Not the adaptation. But you've read the comic book, the four-issue series by yes. Frank Miller. Okay. Don't these guys look like the mutants with their visors? They do. Yeah. They do. And and they and these are all black ises that are in underwear. That sound like Beavis and Butthead. Look like, huh? That sound like Beavis and Butthead. And it is actually voiced by Mike Judge. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, there you go. Oh. <laughs> uh, so again, more about Sarah's suicide, and the kids then are talking after they talk Sarah down from this, trying to pull a gun on Max. Uh, the the kids talk about how they think where they think the Max is from. They think he is basically Superman's origin, or he's a science project gone wrong. And this is a this is all like exposition because the kids in the comic are just kind of thrown in there every once in a while. They don't get this long bit of exposition uh, that we get as the TV audience um, because the kids have this. I don't know. I, they like Max, but they're kind of afraid of him at times. Uh, <laughs> in the comics, the kids uh, might have seen him as a dead body or seen a dead body. It's very difficult to say, really. Um, but this entire scene with the kids and then the mother um, calling after them, you don't want to end up like, uh, you don't want to end up old and alone on a curb somewhere now, do you? 
you know, that is all just made for the TV. Right, right. And then that's pretty much it for the episode. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. It, it, these, these are very short. <laughs> these are very short. So moving on to the episode seven, uh, which is the opening of this, by the way, is the Dark Ages comic book. Dark Ages number one, which is the first appearance of the Max, as well as like Bloodsport and a couple other characters. Yes. Okay, so that opening, that mini micro comic book is the opening of this episode. Yes, and that's talking about uh, the mountain people and the god clan. Mm-hmm. That smell of peppermint and sweaty leather. Yep. Which of these episodes... were huge! Which of these episodes did you say well, in the comic was the pit and Timmy? Oh, um, that is... Episode 7, right? Because episode 8 is Savage Dragon. Uh, let's see. Pit... I don't have my notes organized like this. Oh, okay. Because you mentioned the pit, and I didn't. Uh, I couldn't figure out which character was supposed to be the pit, but I knew. I knew the reference well, you're talking about from the comic. When when Max shrinks down, and uh, Julie's locked in the bathroom, all of the activity that happens in that room is actually in the comic books. It's him and Pit. Right. Um, but in the show, it's just him. And I think that was done because they couldn't license the character for the TV show. Correct. And really, Pitt didn't add anything to the storyline. Right. He was just kind of there. Okay. Yeah, so so it's Pitt and his uh, half-brother, Timmy. Right, and this is also the episode where we basically get, like, cartoony Max. Yes, the, the crampon in a hat. Yes. Um, the Pit, for anyone not familiar with it, is a Dale Keown character created um, in Pit Number One, which I have, um, which is not his first appearance. His first appearance is actually Young Blood Number Four, uh, in a backup story, uh, which is uh, by Rob Liefeld. And uh, funny enough, Rob, Le- Rob Liefeld is returning to do Cable and X Force again for Marvel, which is very funny because they walked out of Marvel years ago to form Image Comics, and he's going back to the comic book he walked away from. <laughs> I guess things come full circle in comic books because that is hilarious that Marvel is like, hey, come back and do (laughs) X-Force. Yeah, I wasn't actually aware that uh, the pit was his own character until I was doing research for these episodes because I just figured it was just another Max character, a a different character thrown in there for some unknown reason. Right. Um, He's like a big gray Hulk-looking thing. He's like an alien hybrid, and uh, no, it, it's he's in there simply because um, Sam Keith got the rights to use him for two of the comic books, and, and so he did. Which is literally just and walking over to the de- desk next to him at Image Comics and saying, hey, can I use the pit? <laughs> I mean, that is exactly what it was. They were in a tiny little office. This is still very early in Image Comics days uh, when, when the Max came out, because the Max came out in like 93, the pit was created in 92 with the formation of Image and Youngblood number four. Um, and then it's funny enough is that the pit number one was the second highest selling comic book in 1992 behind, sorry, the second highest selling comic book, excuse me, in November of 1992 behind, can you guess what comic book? Oh, I don't know. Very famous for the death of somebody. Death of Superman? Death of Superman. Ah. Yes. Sold uh, like three million copies or something like that. Two million copies. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know he was so popular. Who, Superman or the Pit? 
<laughs> Superman wasn't very popular in 1992 either. That's why they killed him off. <laughs> no, no, the pit, the pit. He's he's an interesting character. He's got superhuman strength, and uh, in, in the Max comic books, he's very obsessed over trying to get to Timmy, and the Izzes uh, end up looking like Timmy to him, except Timmy has no eyes, and, and now, that really confuses him. And now it's funny. Superman's not very popular in 2021. What are they doing to his son? What are they doing to his son? I'm not up on the news. Making him a semi-homosexual. Oh, you mean bisexual? Bisexual, thank you, yes. They're, Superman's not popular? Guess what? Let's stunt cast his son into a being bisexual, into a gay relationship with a boy from the Daily Planet. He's got pink hair and he's Asian. And I'm like, wow, they're hitting all the... All the bullseye, they're hitting like all the marks on the board with that one. It's just like, all right, so his boyfriend's going to be Asian, he's going to be young, he's going to have pink hair, he's going to be hip, he's going to be gay, and Superman boy will be bisexual because if we went full gay with Superman's son, the world would come crashing down around us like they did when we announced he was bisexual. So it's like, literally, Superman sales are garbage right now. Like, I, my, my store told me, like, nobody is buying Superman. And it's Aww. like, so what do they do? Let's sell books by turning his son bisexual for a stunt cast writing for five minutes, the book will sell, and then everyone will forget about it. But, I mean, they're selling out of that issue that's coming out soon, the big issue coming up. But still, it's like, how long are people going to continue buying Superman, or Superman, Son of kal it's called, excuse me, it's the Superboy book. John L., John Kent, S Lois and Clark's son. How long do you think that book is going to continue selling after everyone buys that one issue because it's going to go hot on the back market? I don't know. <laughs> Not very well. It will maintain its readership for like five minutes, you know what I mean, for a few months. The LGBT community can prop them up, prop it up as much as they want, but it's like then you need to continue buying the book as much as you're buying this one issue to throw on eBay afterwards. Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is the problem with comic books. And yes, DC is as much responsible as, it as you are, the readership base, but don't make a mountain out of a molehill that there aren't enough LGBT characters out there when you're not buying the books that you want to support. Batwoman doesn't even have a book out right now, and she's got a television show. So anyway, back to the Max. Back to the Max. I'm just pointing out about... Well, the Max is also responsible for like the inflation of comic books in the 90s, so it's, it's all very relevant. The, the Crap on in a Hat episode, I have to admit, is not one of my favorite ones. Um, the This is Max's psyches and his dreams, and basically the little creatures that are chasing him, which is very reminiscent of the Izzes, but they're more uh, goblin-y monstrous, those are the uh, representation of his fears, and they're all named Dave, because Dave is his actual name that he does not remember yet. In, in this kind of uh, cartoony, rhyming scheme, it's, it's the battle between Max and his fears about taking off the mask. He is afraid to see what is underneath the mask. It has been molded to his head for so long, Ew. He believes that he believes that he has a rabbit head in the outback, but he doesn't know what he has in this reality, and he's afraid to look. But his fears and his terrors are going to force him to see that. And there is like a couple pages from the comic book that aren't actually represented on the television show of him taking off the mask, and seed pods come out, 
and the seed pods come out and they hit the ground and they start to build the jungle like growing the jungle and that's not really illustrated in the television show but it leads into the next scene which is him in Julie's psyche and so like his his face his mask all of that transforms into the jungle of Julie's psyche which means that they're they are connected in this very dynamic way mm. he is not able to be separated from Julie because even in his own uh, dreams he is connected to her mm-hmm. and and Julie's um, little girl psyche pushes him out because he is not supposed to be that deep in her psyche mm-hmm. it's very interesting but not my favorite of the episodes no I didn't like the whole animated part either it just kind of took me out of it yeah understandable do you want to get to your um, personal time? life story story? Yes, but ah, personal life story time before we get into the uh, the love I have for Eric Larson and Savage Dragon? <laughs> sure. Okay, because <laughs> I own every issue of the Savage Dragon. It's like the one image comic I own every freaking issue of. I'm uh, very proud yes. of that. <laughs> and it's still being published today, written and drawn by Eric Larson. If you can believe that. And he's still hot. Uh who, okay. Savage Dragon or Eric Larson? Savage Dragon. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess your choice is your choices on what you find attractive, but uh, <laughs> um, sure, but we'll get into who Savage Dragon is these days, but go on with your story. Story time. When I was a kid, I was in the Gifted and Talented Education Program, which meant that I was smart enough to know what was going on around me. When Sarah says that adults run everything and nothing works, I felt that then. Truth be told, I still feel it now. Uh, Sarah's panicked um, with the gun in her hand, her panicked state being out of control. Like, oh, oh God, like I felt that too. People, adults, were controlling me, making me do things. Sometimes it was physical. Sometimes it was because... I wasn't living up to my potential. I graduated high school in 1996. After a year of emotional turmoil, you know, a dead boyfriend, suicide attempt, institutionalization, sexual abuse, I was expected to accomplish and excel. You're a sweet girl. You're smart. Why don't you apply yourself? And then after graduation, that quickly turned into you're a little slut aren't you come here my mouth got dry I froze then I obeyed just like my abuser taught me by this time I had decided that I had to keep on living because I couldn't put the pain that I was feeling on someone else's shoulders like my friends and my family the Max was still in reruns at the time, and I watched it whenever it came on. It was comforting that my feelings were being reflected back to me. My secrets, my shifting realities, my pain. It was a world that only I felt like I knew. The creeping fears that grabbed Max in his sleep were like my nightmares that I continue to have to this day. I really only sleep about five hours a night, kind of like Julie. 
I prevent myself from ever having a gun. Uh, I, I can't have a gun around me because it only takes one bad day, one horrific night to decide to quit life. And I remember what Max said, pain lasts, kid. That's how you know you're alive. It's taken over a decade to come to terms with this and embrace it. Like Julie's psyche and the little girl stunted by trauma, I, I probably have one too, but my past feels like a dream. And so I'll never dig deep enough to help my internal child to grow into someone that I can be proud of or that my father could be proud of. And like Max, I have to be the hero in my own story. Because if I'm not, then I've really truly lost it. And I'll stop there. Moving on to episode eight, the Max episodes, I want to point out, because I don't think we have before, have no titles to them, which is unusual. I think every show we have done had episode titles. Yeah, and this this one does not. Hmm, interesting. What's also funny is that they used to put episode titles before episodes a long time ago, and nowadays they don't, but Supernatural did that for 15 seasons. They kept putting the episode titles up. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. That was probably something by Eric Kripke, the creator, his decree, and then when he left the show, they made, he made sure that that continued. Yeah. It's the plot synopsis uh, for episode eight. Uh, this is the one where he battles Hammerhead. Yes. And and this is actually, uh, in the comic book, this is the entire comic number six. And the character Hammerhead in the comic book is a Savage Dragon character created by Eric Larson called Mako. And the cop who's investigating is the dragon because he is an officer of the Chicago Police Department. The The guy who found Savage Dragon, Dragon um, the, the media calls him Savage Dragon. Uh, he calls himself Officer Dragon. He has no first name. However, he's got three weird appearances. One, Graphic Fantasy number one, June 1982. Savage Dragon and Megaton number three, in 1986. And then the Savage Dragon that we know and love from Image Comics in Savage Dragon number one, the miniseries, in July of 1992. He was one of the original characters alongside Spawn, Youngblood, Wildcats, and, and uh, Shadowhawk that were created with the people who left Marvel for Im to create Image. Now, Eric Larson is the only creator, the only original founder of Image Comics still drawing and writing his own book to this very day. And Savage Dragon is now currently up in the 260s. The Savage Dragon that appears in this comic with the Max, and by the way, the Max would appear in Savage Dragon number 28, uh, The Dragon Goes to the Outback. The uh, the dragon has been killed off and sent to heaven um, and is basically welcomed at the pearly gates with a bunch of busty naked women uh, because that's his personal heaven for all his superhero duties. <laughs> uh, his son, Malcolm Dragon, who is a uh, half-human, half-alien uh, character, so he's also like a different shade of green because Malcolm's mother was black. Um, is currently running the book alongside his father from the graphic fantasy series 
not even kidding, they did their own like multiverse implosion, multiverse forming back into one universe kind of storyline, so all the other versions of the Savage Dragon kind of became one character. So the graphic fantasy Savage Dragon, where he has a small fit in his head and his name is Paul Dragon, is now running around with Malcolm Dragon, the son of the original Savage Dragon. If that's not confusing enough for you, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good book to check out if you like ridiculous superhero heroics. Uh, Eric Larson has tiptoed into a more adult theme once in a while. Yes, he has. Yeah, there's a cover to issue 225, which has him in an orgy with his wife, his stepsister, and uh, some classmate of theirs. Um, and there is there is a constant joke of his uh, Malcolm Dragon's wife with their four kids. Uh, one of them is the child of, he had with his stepsister, Angela. Uh, <laughs> yes, so it's like porn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eric Larson even said, I think, that, uh, well, stepdaughter, stepsister stuff was big in porn, so I decided to put that in the comic book. <laughs> <laughs> the, his uh, his wife is uh, horny as hell, and she's always seen barely wearing a shirt covering her nether down regions. And there's always to uh, show off how horny she is, a piece of liquid dripping from her leg. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, comics. <laughs> and once upon a time, the most controversial thing about Savage Dragon wasn't like how often he was having sex with characters. Was in an issue where he dies and teams up with Spawn, Al Simmons. And then meets God over in his own book. God says, don't fuck with God. Which pissed off the Christians to no end. It doesn't take much to piss them off. No. And then, of course, later on, he teamed up with Santa Claus. And Santa Claus said, don't fuck with Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to the Mac. So, Mako, by the way, uh, was created around the same time that uh, over in DC Comics, they created a character called King Shark who became very popular on the Flash TV series, the Harley Quinn animated series, and recently this year in the Suicide Squad film. I particularly like the way the Harley Quinn uh, animated show does the King Shark. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, he's voiced by a famous black comedian, but I don't entirely know his name, I believe. Um, I think he's the guy in Free Guy, the security guard. I haven't seen that one, but the actor was also on um, uh, Powerless, right. which was which was uh, about superheroes, and they're not really super, but they just work around the environment where superheroes are. Yeah, they all work for Wayne Tech, and they work for Bruce Wayne's cousin. Yeah. And there was one superhero who showed up on, on the show. It was Crimson Fox, who was a really lame-ass, horrible... Uh, over-sexified 90s, 80s kind of superhero on the Justice League. And that was the one character they used on the show. Um, They did have Adam West show up as Bruce Wayne in one episode, which is like, okay, I guess Batman's incredibly old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, Mako was on the animated series, um, Savage Dragon, which Savage Dragon did have its own animated series. they just changed his name to Hammerhead so that uh, they could, you know, not have licensing issues. Right, which I think there was a Marvel comic book character called Hammerhead as well, unless I'm thinking of somebody else. There is a there is a villain called Hammerhead. No, okay, I'm thinking of the Spider-Man villain who is not a Hammerhead shark. He's just a mafioso Italian guy with an adamantium plate in his skull. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because comics! 
Uh, anyway, so Savage Dragon had his own cartoon series, which we have mentioned before, which ran from 95 to 96, which was around the same time as the Max cartoon. Mm-hmm. So. And the, at the end of episode eight, uh, we are... We have basically the, the trinity of Julie's psyche. Her conscious life, her id, her superego, and then Max would be her animus. And the Jungle Queen is representational of what she what she envisioned herself to be when she was a little kid, you know, strong, independent. And then as time went on and all of the trauma and pain and violations that she incurred, it changed the Jungle Queen from being this beautiful, blonde, powerful woman into being this kind of twisted, dark-haired, very... Uh, powerfully dark. <laughs> I don't know I don't know how else to describe it. She's dark, um almost menacing but not. Mhm. And it's also funny that Julie meets her Peanuts cartoon character from the previous episode, which is basically what they were drawn like Peanuts, you know, I guess that's yeah. the aesthetic they were going for. And her, then she her meets kid, her yeah. jungle sexy self wearing a creepy mask. Mhm. So it's the yeah, two halves of her soul. To, that's to illustrate the violations that she had. Yes, definitely. Now, on the cartoon series, do we get into the who um, the villain is really as much as we did in the comic? Because I don't want to say it if we don't yet. I, I I believe the show does go into it a little bit. You know that the clay block um, in upcoming episodes uh, turns out to be Sarah's father's head. Ah, creepy. So she does say she does recognize the head and say dad. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's very creepy. Um, and but then he's not really Mr. Gone. Right. And that's the thing, because if you read the entire series, um, Mr. Gone, that, what you see and what you experience of Mr. Gone in this entire series is not him, the person. You are seeing a psychic impression of Mr. Gone that he has uh, transported into the psyches of his friends and family and some anonymous people uh, through a power center that basically holds people's stuff. It's a U-Haul place, but he can go into each of these psyches by taking their personal belongings and uh, setting out his mind across time and space, pretty much. Gotcha. And then interact with their psyches and their reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're seeing, it, him in the outback, him in real life, the, all the rapes and, and the, the murders, etc., that is him as a psychic entity. That's why his cape is just so huge and almost spawn-like. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> he's not real. Right. You know, he is, but he's not. Spawn-like. Very spawn-like, indeed. Very much so. So, it, this... This comic is very deep on a lot of levels and extremely confusing, especially when you get into these later episodes where you start to get the background of what uh, Max actually is. And, you know, him having a bunny head means more for Julie, but we're going to get into that as the story progresses. Right. And if you have the DVDs for the episodes, this is the last episode on the DVD uh, before you switch over to the second one. Ah, yes. 
Yes. Okay. Um, and that's all the notes I have for this week's episode covering the Max. We are trying to have somebody on the show with us from the Max. Um, and we will keep you updated if and when that happens. Uh, you can find all our previous episodes on RadioHorror.com, and uh, this will be posted in time, hopefully, for Halloween. So everyone have a happy Halloween this year. Stay safe. Eat lots of candy. Don't eat it all at once. Eat it, like, one piece at a time. Yeah. And then eat more. <laughs> but wash it down with some water. Pepto-Bismol. I'm not giving the best advice here. Just check your candy. I've never heard yeah. of the razor blade in the candy thing. That's always been an urban legend. But wear your mask when you go trick-or-treating. Wash your hands before you eat your candy. Well, that's definitely a good bit of advice and all that bad advice you've just given. Yes. Get your kids, <laughs> vac- your get your kids vaccinated before you go trick-or-treating. <laughs> because the child vaccine is out, correct, I believe? I'm not sure up to what ages it covers, but Five to uh, 11. my son was able to get vaccinated. 5 to 11. Excellent. So get your kid vaccinated uh, before you go trick-or-treating. Yeah, and happy Halloween, everyone. Yes. Um, I just completed a Beetlejuice Tim Burton event at the Mahoning Drive-Ins. That was quite fun. Images oh. are available online. Um, and uh, I don't really have any Halloween plans. Do you? Uh, well, if we if I get this episode posted up in time by uh, Saturday, on Saturday, October 30th, I will be at That's Entertainment in Worcester, Massachusetts, signing Vlada, Chronicle of the Damned, with my artist Ken Hunt. And then on October 31st, Halloween, I will be in the dead center of Salem, Massachusetts at Silver Moon Comics, signing that and also Vlada the graphic novel, A Dracula Tale. Excellent. And it is a good book. Anyone has not picked it up, I'd suggest you do. Yep. It is very good. So now you have, there's an accompanying comic book with it. There was an original accompanying comic book, but we decided to redo it in, uh, in the art that basically reflects the new one with additional pages. So it's its, its own unique uh, new comic book, and that accompanies now the graphic novel. And then I'm not doing anything more with Vlada for like a year. So <laughs> other than selling it, I'm not working on any other additions to it other than uh, selling it for the next year. And then in 2023, I will come back with the spinoff. Well, we shall see at that time. You shall see. And don't forget to send us an email, thatradiofhorror at gmail.com, and find us on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with two, three more exciting episodes of The Max. Actually, in a couple weeks, that would be the last of the episodes, right? Uh, no, 9, see, 10, 11, no. then 12, 13. Yeah, we've got 13 episodes. Okay, so we'll be back. Good night. Good night.